Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today our topic is, it's an important one to me. It's about leadership and communication, and I'm of the belief that you can't have one without the other, and I am delighted to welcome Steve Cockrum to the show. Now, as a co-founder of Giant Worldwide, a global technology company that focuses on leadership consultancy, Steve is dedicated to empowering the leader in everyone, family kids, your your company. He doesn't leave anybody out. Now, Steve is an international speaker, author, and consultant to top-level executives and leaders around the world. In fact, he's calling us today from London. He is a subject matter expert on personality and wiring, organizational leadership, emotional intelligence, and interpersonal communication. And additionally, he is the co-author of the leadership books, Five Gears, The 100 Times X, 100X Leader, and Five Voices. And his passion for leaders in communication, change management, and work-life balance is clearly echoed in all three of these books. And I have those books, by the way, there, and as well as his speaking and executive consulting. Welcome. It's good to have you here. Oh, Denise, thank you. I have to say, uh, us Brits struggle with our American introductions, but that's very gracious of you. Thank you. Honored to be a guest. Oh, well, you know, you I have interviewed your partner, and I have your books, and they're a great book. But, you know, leadership and communication, I, I have to be honest with you, I find a lot of, this is just an observation, I find that a lot of people who term themselves as leaders, they're not great communicators. How does that happen? Good question. I mean, I think leadership, as you say, is a very, very broad topic. Um, but I think the the thing I always say at the beginning is everyone leads at least one person. So people actually realize, go, you all, we all lead ourselves. So if people are sitting, listening, thinking, am I really a leader? I go, well, you lead yourself, and I promise you have far more influence in far more people's lives than you realize. So we're all leading to some capacity, whatever influence that looks like. I agree with you. And, you know, I'll find something. Social media, of course, has changed how we present ourselves and how we show up in the world. Hopefully it's in a good way. But I will find every once in a while, because, you know, I'll put something out on Facebook or here, there, and yonder. And I'll say, okay, five people are going to see that. And I'm always a bit shocked when people are actually paying attention to me. And I'm, oh, I better clean up my act. <laughs> so there's there's that but you know and that's kind of an aside there but before I get too far asking you questions tell people a bit about yourself so I'm uh, gosh what am I now I'm 51 years old Denise hard to believe I've been happily married to Helen my wife for 29 years I think Helen would say happily for about 15 of them Uh, we have three amazing amazing girls Um, Izzy has just graduated college she's 21 uh, Megan is 17, and Charlotte um, is a, was a very unexpected blessing in our old age when we lived in America. She was born in South Carolina at Wacomore Hospital, and she's 10 years old now. So um, that's my family. I'm living just outside of London. Um, in some ways, I've done more things in my life than most people would ever believe. I've been everything from a high school teacher to a nightclub owner to a pastor to consultant, you know, you name it, I've had a go at it. There's always been this entrepreneurial spirit waiting to come out. But I, I say the most important thing people need to understand when they listen to me is that just about everything I share will come out of learning through failure and actually getting it wrong and having to work at how could I be more effective in the communication of the relationships that I cared most about. And I guess then once I realized the awful truth of what it was like to be on the other side of me, 
probably spending the next 20 years trying to work out how did I help people make different mistakes to the ones I've made. So um, I was an athlete for many years. Sadly, my body's not what it once was in the East, but I still play uh, some competitive golf and tennis. But um, my days of pugilist sports have, have gone. And uh, I love a game called cricket, which is an anathema to all Americans because it can go on for five days and it can still be a draw at the end of it. So there we go. That's a little bit about me. I love um I love eating well. Um, I love uh, social occasions. And uh, I'm a great believer in something called creating mealtimes and mountaintops. I joke and say, um, if you took meals and mountains out of the Bible, you'd have about 50 pages left because uh, that's what everyone remembers. And uh, so I work really hard to try and create experiences that, that people remember. And I found if I can do that around an amazing meal table experience as well, it kind of multiplies its impact. So there you go. That's a little bit about me. Oh, I love that. You know, the meals and mountains. I love, love, love that. I live in the deep south. You know, we cook. We <laughs> cook. I mean, it's everything. Uh, yeah. If you come to my house, you, first of all, you have to be invited. But if you come to my house, I don't know if you're hungry. I don't care if you're hungry. I must feed you. That is my job as a southerner. We must feed you and give you coffee, of course. But I completely understand that. So, Steve, where in the world, I mean, you, you've run the gamut. I mean, you have really run the gamut. And you and I have talked about the, the, how you got here. I'm stuttering now because I have so much. I want to say so much and not make a hash of it. But you, we shared, you shared with me that, like you just did with our audience, that really where you are now comes from, you know, making big whoppers and making mistakes. But then you corrected those and you learned from those. And I think that's a big deal. A lot of people just say, oh, well, what the heck? And, you know, he'll get over it. She'll get over it. I don't need to do anything different. That's a big problem, isn't it? It is. Uh, I, the thing that frustrates me most, if I'm honest and easy, is when somebody says, oh, that's just Steve or that's just Denise. He's gonna be, she's going to be like that forever now. And it always feels to me that I'd hate it if anyone ever said, oh, that's just Steve, you know what you're going to get. And that what that means is that we've stopped growing, that our influence has reached the level, and it's not going to get any better. It's probably going to get worse as people navigate around us. So I think that commitment to, to personal growth and development for the sake of others as much as yourself is, is something that I'm, I'm deeply passionate about, and I know you are as well. Well, and you and I were talking about this because you were breaking it down for leaders, team communication, you know, business. You were breaking it down, but I don't think we can actually not communicate with everybody that is in our life. We have to be able to be somebody decent, you know, somebody that people really want to pay attention to, that we're offering good information, not just a bunch of garbage. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the honest answer to this is I think most people have that intent and desire. There's very few leaders I've ever worked with or individuals that go, well, I really hope I come across badly to people and that I upset people and hurt people and cause them to, to reject me. Uh, I think I most think people are un <laughs> Well, there are a few, but they're not the majority. The majority are what I call unconsciously incompetent. They, oh, they okay. have no real idea what it's like to be on the other side of them. And therefore, in some ways, it's, they don't see it unless somebody is brave enough to point out to them or to give them tools or mirrors even that allows them to see what we call the broccoli in your teeth. You know, I think everyone's been to a, a bathroom in a, in a restaurant and suddenly found there's something in your teeth that you wish wasn't there, particularly us Brits. Obviously, as our teeth are not as fine as you Americans. But it's almost like, why did no one tell me I had a big sprig of broccoli hanging out the side of my mouth. And that, I think, is what a lot of people deal with. They, they, the moment you help them understand this is the impact you're having on others, in my experience, most people are like, wow, that, that would make a difference. So I guess I'm, a, I'm a, always a positivity type person who believes that in the, on the whole, um, most people want to change and grow, apart from, as you say, the occasional one or two who just are miserable. But that usually is a deeper-rooted issue. 
And that usually goes back a long time in their lives and often goes back to their own experience of parenting. But that's probably a, a bit psychological and deep at this time of the day. Not at all. And you just said something I had to write down because I thought it was so pithy. I love that word. I use it a lot, pithy. Be on the other side. You know, people don't understand when they're being on the other side of them. Say that again for me because I think I just read it wrong. So so often asked the, the question, which is, what's it like to be on the other side of you? There you go. So what's it like to be on the other side of you as a, what does it feel like to be my spouse, my wife? Or what does it feel like to be my children? my business partner, my work colleagues, those who work for me. So in the end, that simple question alone um, always begins a journey of self-awareness. And there's always, Denise, a, a moment where we almost don't want to know, particularly if you are, um, let's just say, some of the more loud, more opinionated, more entrepreneurial characters of which I most certainly am one. I remember almost being almost just being so mortified when I was like, wow, is that really how I come across to other people? And I think it was a, it was a slow dawning and quite a, quite, a, quite a kind of dying moment to realize I don't want that to be the story about me. Now, I'm probably being harsher on myself than I need be, but it's, I think it's good sometimes to at least own the fact that the real growth usually begins with conscious incompetence. And that's often, I would say, one of the most important roles for parents and leaders is how do you help people grow by helping them in a loving way own their conscious incompetence and more importantly then give them the context and the encouragement to begin to change some of those simple behaviors do you have some case studies you can share because i'm fascinated by this my thinking is because my my mother used to tell me I should be an attorney. I could argue multiple sides of any any argument and come out winning. But a lot of people, myself involved, you know, I will do the same thing. I catch myself doing this. Like you'll try to tell me that where I'm going a little bit wrong or how I'm showing up. And my instinct these days now is to sit down and shut up and listen. But my instinct not all that long ago was to go, yeah, what about you? And just whip it back at. And I think that's kind of what most of us do. It's like, yeah, well, you can't talk to me like that. And, you know, I'm going to tell you what I think about you. Look, I, but then again, I argue with my GPS system. She's not the boss of me. So we've got that going on. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the best examples are usually us. I mean, probably the I've got so many embarrassing stories in these, but one that I'll tell that I'm sure um, it will illustrate the point would be is relatively soon after I'd married Helen, she came to me and she said, um, Steve, um, you, we have a problem. Um, you have a tendency that when you're in a room, you look for the most attractive and interesting people and basically exclude everyone else in your engagement. If you can't find anybody who's hugely attractive or intellectually stimulating, you usually provoke an argument just for the sheer fun of intellectual sparring and jousting. And if then there's nobody who you deem to be worthy of your intellectual jousting, you then basically disappear, withdraw, and go to sleep in a corner. Oh. And she said, um, you did this at a gathering of my extended family, and if you want to think there's going to be any physical intimacy anytime soon in our marriage. This is a behavior that's going to need to change. Now, I did exactly, Denise, what you said, which is like, oh, I think you're exaggerating or, you know, I think you're, I don't think that's true. I become defensive. That's my standard default or used to be. So she said, I knew you'd say that. So why don't you go and talk to three of your closest friends, honestly ask them whether that's what you do. So I went, right, I will. So I went off. I, I, I spoke to Pete first. Pete's my best man. I said, so Helen reckons I do this in a room. And Pete just laughs. He goes, yeah, you do. We laugh about it. And by the time the third person, Denise, said, Steve, yes, you do that. And we've laughed about it for many years. It was that moment when I became consciously incompetent. And I just went, oh, my goodness. I, I don't want that to be the story about me. It's my tendency. So as Here's the thing, we believe that, you know, personality is hardwired. I will always have the same tendencies. We, we have a little phrase that says you never graduate the school of self-awareness in Giant because in the end you're always going to be working at this 
because the moment you're accidental, the same old patterns come back again. So what I did, Denise, I made a new plan. I said, okay, if that tendency is going to be there, I'm always going to have to be careful. But when I find myself in a room gravitating towards certain people or certain um, you know, people of interest, now what I do is I go, I don't want to be known as that person. I look around the room. I often now look at who is the person who looks the most awkward to be there or the one who looks like they're struggling the most. And I will then go and use all my Yoda skills to try and actually be interested in them, find out about them, use all the learnings of hopefully many years to try and see whether I can be a real encouragement and an agent of liberation and change in their lives. So I joke and say that's how I met Jeremy, but that's not actually true. But it always gets a laugh when I tell it on stage. So Jeremy is most certainly not that kind of person. But there's an example of somebody being brave enough, Helen, to actually point out my conscious incompetence and then actually then deciding I was going to make a change in behavior. Does that, I mean, you know, you must be wondering who on the earth you've got as your guest today, but I'm being ruthlessly honest because I hope it will then make sense of almost the journey of creating tools and resources so that anyone else who struggles with this, always what I say is please make different mistakes to the ones I've already made. And see, I think that's brilliant, and I love your wife. I think she is brilliant. (laughs) She's the hero in most of the stories. (laughs) She's my hero, let me tell you. And Jeremy, by the way, for the audience, is your business partner. So we talked about this, the tool that you use in in Giant and in coaching and basically communication Mm. and leadership, which to me communication and leadership shouldn't be – defined as different things, but they are. But you talk about these tools because they came out of your own lack of self-awareness. And and now, and you just gave us one, but what are some of these tools that you use? So um, I'll give you a couple of simple tools, and then maybe I'll give you a tendency lens that hopefully people can can engage with. So one is, everything Giant created was visual, by the way, because the new world is visual, not auditory. People remember what they see. So if you can picture a boomerang, um, you know, Aussie boomerang that you throw and comes back. And we have a, a tool which says, the boomerang effect. And it simply says this, it says, learn to be interested before interesting. What does that mean? Well, it means whenever you go into any relational environment, where even with someone you may know, or certainly with new people, learn to be interested first. Find out about them. Ask the questions about them. Find out what makes them tick. If you're not naturally good at it, have some questions you practice. And let them pull from you rather than you trying to be interesting and telling them all the things that's amazing about you and the product you're selling or whatever it is you're passionate about. So there's a simple visual tool with a boomerang that actually we talk about the boomerang effect where you bring the conversation back to being about you. So around our dining room table, all the the, the family use these. And sometimes somebody will will be talking about something that's happened during the day and one of the others will go, you know, that reminds me about me and what I've been doing. And everyone goes, boomerang, which is one of those (laughs) things. Hey, you're trying to be interesting when we're trying to be interested about what's happening elsewhere. So do you know that sounds very, very simple? But if you want to improve your communication and certainly that emotional intelligence piece, it's amazing how simple that little aid memoir, learn to be interested before trying to be interesting. Um, because I, for many years, Denise, was always determined to be the most interesting person in the room and didn't tend to ask as many questions as other people, assuming they all wanted to learn about me and what I was excited about. You're not alone there. And, you know, one of the things that I have learned in in my life is that if you can't listen, you're never going to be all that interesting to most people. No, no. And that's a hard no, thing for people to swallow. They're like, but, but, but. I'm important. I've got stuff. What about, no, you have to listen, make good eye contact if you're in their, you know, their line of sight, but you have to listen. And then once you've figured out what it is that they want to share with you, then you can ask those questions and you can have those conversations, but not until you sit down and shut up. (laughs) We we actually found, uh, Denise, that, that 
this is a real statistic. I joke and say 67.4% of statistics are usually made up on the spot. But this one's a real one. And it says that in the average team, on the average day, in the average organization, 82% of people don't feel truly heard, valued, and appreciated for who they are and what they bring at their best. And if you imagine, that was the statistics we've worked with over the years in, in the kind of the, the, I guess, the professional world of teams. But I don't believe it's any different in the average home. The average person on the average day in the average uh, family doesn't feel heard, valued, or appreciated. And the main reason being is we're far more different than people realize. So most people are seeing we're pretty similar, really. I'll do for you what I'd want done for me. And what you find is that basically that principle almost always leads to disempowerment and miscommunication. And that's really why, you know, um, 20 years ago, somebody I think had a compassion for Helen paid for me, friends of ours, to go and study something called Myers-Briggs and Fire OB. Fire OB, I've no idea, Denise, who the marketing genius behind Fire OB was, but that stands for Fundamental Interpersonal Relational Orientations and Behaviors. And you wonder why they didn't make quite the same money that Myers-Briggs did. But, <laughs> but you know, that was, that, was, that was 20 years ago. And um, the learning from that was profound but what happened was, uh, I used to teach those things all the time, but when Giant was created, when Jeremy and I founded it, we said, you know, every tool we use for the new world, people are so busy and they're so overwhelmed with the demand for their time in a world that never shuts off anymore. Unless we can make the principles and the tools we're using simple enough that an educated 13-year-old can understand it, use it, and teach their friends, it will probably disappear the moment they walk out of the engagement. And so that was our mantra. And, of course, my educated 15-year-old, Izzy, came to me and says, Daddy, I love the fact I'm an ENFP. That's a Myers-Briggs descriptor, for those of you not sure. He said, I love it. He said, I can understand it. I use it every day, but it's too complicated to teach to my friends. So doesn't that violate one of Giant's foundational principles you've been teaching? And, you know, one of those moments where you go, um, Isabel, let me go away and think on that because I'm, gonna, I'm not sure how I'm going to answer it. And what that did, Denise, that led to a breakthrough, which was, um, gosh, nearly five and a half years ago now, where we created something called the Five Voices Communication System because in the end, unless an educated 13-year-old could understand it and use it and teach their friends without the need for an expert in the room, it would never scale in the world we now live in. So five voices, I'll, I'll explain in a moment, but that's probably the most profound thing we've done um, inside the giant ecosystem along with the tools is to create a vocabulary and language which celebrates diversity and difference and actually champions the superpowers that every single person has in every culture in the world. Let's definitely talk about the five voices. So do you have time to kind of go deep into that? Because I find that fascinating. I would love to. I was, I was hoping you were going to say that, but I, I always want to be, uh, allow you to do So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you um, an overview of each foundational voice, what it brings at its best, and the superpower that it brings to a team or uh, any relationship. And here's the thing to understand is I'm going to describe five voices you have the ability to speak all five. We all use all five, but some of them are more natural for us than others. Some of them are almost, they're, they're just our default way of engaging with the world. Others, we really have to work at celebrating and kind of, so the goal is not to try and learn how to speak all of them. The goal, I would say, is learn to understand which ones you bring as your best and learning how to create the environment for the other voices to be heard, celebrated, and valued in a way that makes them feel special. So um, five voices, there's not an even distribution in the, in the world. So um, listen to the stats as we go. So the first voice, Denise, is called the nurturer. The nurturer voice, um, and they're the champions of people, relational harmony, 
values. They are the most selfless of all of the voices. They are always looking for ways to serve other people. They willingly allow others to be center stage. They often don't quite like things being about them. They are the most incredible team players. And they, are, they have this spidey sense of how people are going to react to new ideas or possibilities or whatever that might be. And they just get people. As I said before, they'll, they'll save entrepreneurs so much time and money if they would listen to the nurture of voice before they launch into some big change or venture. And 43% of the population speak nurture as their first what we call foundational voice out of the five. So we're dealing with a very, very high percentage of people. <laughs> and the challenge with nurturers and these is um, they very rarely look in the mirror and see what everyone else sees. So everyone else sees loyal teammate, consummate professional, dedicated team player, loved universally by everyone. Yet what they see is they see the imperfection they see the little bits they can't do well, and they will always, always struggle to put themselves forward for leadership positions and roles, particularly if it involves a competitive process where almost they have to say, I think I'm better than someone else, when the nurturer's default is always to prefer the needs of other people. So that's one of their challenges, and also the ability for them to to speak truth into environments where they think there might be conflict or where it's going to disagree with a strongly held opinion that's already been stated, which is why when we're coaching teams and families, we say, let the nurturer go first in the communication. So there is a little pen sketch of our, our nurturer first voice. Anything you want to ask to clarify on that? No, I'm following along and I'm testing myself as you're talking. I may well be in there. <laughs> I hope I am. You may well be. So uh, if people want to play along, what I, whenever I do a workshop, I say, choose your color. So you can have green if it's like, oh, my goodness, Steve, you've just described me. That really is me at my best. You can have yellow, which is, I think of a traffic light, whatever, which is, hey, I know how to access that voice, but it's not, not naturally me. And then you've got red, which is, oh, my goodness, that feels so alien to me. I, I struggle sometimes to really not just value it, but access it as well. So I always say give yourself a color. And Americans always love shades of color, Denise. So you can have either green, green with the end of yellow, yellow with green, yellow, yellow with red, red with yellow or red. So seven choices should be enough. So you, what would you choose with listening to the nurturer? How familiar is that voice to you? Is it really green or is it a little bit of hint of yellow or whatever? What would you say? It's spring, spring green. You know that bright lime green when the leaves are unfurling? <laughs> it's just, it's a green that's almost painful. It's so bright. Well, well done for you because most nurturers who would normally choose vivid green, choose green with a hint of yellow, because they'd hate for anyone to think they were trying to claim to be a perfect nurturer. So oh, no, I'm perfect. Tendency. I'm perfect all the time. <laughs> so here's the thing humble. I would say, obviously, you can, and, and the key thing to understand is, with nurturers, you can tell them how much you appreciate of them every single day of their life, and they will never get arrogant or proud. But if you're going to bring challenge to a nurturer, just be careful how you do it because they will take any critique, magnify it many times over, and that will be all they hear for a period of time if you're not careful. So I have a huge empathy and compassion, Denise, to liberate nurturers in the world. I think the world would be an amazingly more harmonious, fairer, compassionate, just place if more nurturers found themselves in leadership positions inside companies, communities, and nonprofits. But of course, without people who champion and sponsor them, they almost always find the place where they sabotage their leadership because they almost don't believe that they feel like they've got a bit of imposter syndrome and that somehow someone's going to realize I'm not as good at this as they think I am. 
So there's nurturer voices for you. Now that 43%, by the way, 70% are women. So whenever you oh, meet a woman yeah, in the world, yeah. you've got a six, you've got a 60% chance that you're dealing with a nurturer first voice. And that makes perfect sense. And you're right. You know, I, I catch myself. You got to see my head. I'm nodding it. I'm going to give myself a headache. <laughs> I have two types of headaches. One is like, oh, yeah, 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 he's right, he's right. The other one is where I'm rolling my eyes so bad that I almost dislocate my spine. <laughs> Not there yet. So we'll keep, keep going. Uh, well, last one for you. Most nurturers love their sleep because sleep is the one place where they don't feel responsible for everyone's happiness and well-being. So nurturers usually value their sleep quite highly um, in that process. So the next voice, and again, you can play along with the colors if you want to, and people listening can too. So the creative voice, the creative is the champion of future ideas, innovation, and organizational integrity. So the creative is the voice that's always looking out into the future, looking for trends in ideas, patterns, thinking, technology. They're the futurists most future looking of all the voices and they love they love being almost these conceptual architects that kind of love dreaming how things can be different so they're always pushing the frontiers and they're always challenging us to go beyond where we are creatives are never satisfied with the status quo that in their mind things could always be better and they have this idealized perfectionism that when they've seen a vision of what could be it's almost like that not going after it with all their worth is, is almost a violation of their, their core being. So they have this amazing, amazing ability to reframe problems and solutions, almost coming from left field, we'll say. And in the new world where we're navigating things we've never navigated before as we head into the kind of the, the digital you know, revolution, creatives are incredibly valuable. But every creative first voice struggles with communication. And it's a deep frustration to them and usually to those around them because when a creative speaks, they often aren't as clear externally as they are inside. And they'll often need the team or parents or friends to ask what we call clarifying questions. Because remember, creatives only speak when they've got something to say. They're not people who will talk all the time, unlike some voices will come to. They'll only speak when they've really got something they want to share. But it usually means you've got to ask two or three clarifying questions, and eventually the gold comes out. But every creative I know struggles at times with the fact that, you know, they'll share something in a team meeting or an idea, and everyone kind of looks at them strangely. And then about three months, six months later, somebody shares exactly the same idea, and everyone goes, like, that's brilliant, let's do it. And the creative goes, but I said that, and they go, well, you might think you did, but it's not what we heard. So creatives are always amazing people, and they're always asking this integrity question. Are we living our values? Are the experiences on the other side of us as an employee, as a client, as a supplier, are we living what we say we represent? And are we really being good news in our communities? And what about the people on the margins, even within our company? The, the creative is always championing an idealism and an integrity-based, which is hugely compelling. I use them, Denise, as early warning radar systems. The creative always knows when there's danger coming, and they always see opportunities long before anyone else does. But the, their challenge is always learning to celebrate well, because the problem for a creative is nothing is ever as perfect as they thought in their head it was going to be. And they can often wear their teams out as leaders when you know, they, everyone's ready to party because we've hit 90%. But for the, the creative, if they're not careful, it's not perfect. Therefore, why would we celebrate? So there you go. What do you reckon to the creative voice? What color would you give that one? I'm still green, but I'm tending towards the autumn side of green where things are turning a little bit brown, a little bit spotty. Does that make sense? <laughs> that, that. It does indeed. So there's a true creative answer. Because So I'm going to say that's green with a hint of yellow. Would that be fair? Sure. That sounds so fair. So nurture was a, 
you speak both of those really well, but nurture would probably be slightly higher. So let's see if we can find some that are not as green for you. So the third voice in the, the five is called the guardian. We're now starting to get to the voices that you probably will hear um, out loud. Nurturers and creatives often need a safe environment to really be able to bring their best. Guardians are the champions of truth-telling, due diligence, systems, processes, stewardship of money, and basically making sure we always move into the future cognizant of the ground that's been won in the past. So making sure we don't throw out all the things that we've learned over the years as somebody comes in with a new idea of going to the future. So guardians, these ask the most amazing questions. They're always, always asking difficult questions, which most entrepreneurs and people just sometimes feel as annoying or lacking faith or why are you always so negative about things? And they miss the fact that what the guardian is doing is they're playing their role in the team to steward resources because every guardian spends their dollars, pounds or euros as if it was their own. They don't have to be the owner of the business to want to steward resources because for a guardian, every dollar squandered always impacts people in a negative way. So they'll always want to know, can we do our due diligence? Have we really asked the serious questions? What if it isn't as good as we think it is? And those magic words which guardians the world over love, which is, can we run a pilot project? Guardians love data and they love to know something's true and sound. And actually, before we go all in, let's make sure we've really counted the cost. So amazing project managers, guardians, they love bringing order, detail, system, process. I'm in awe of their superpowers and their skills. I now love working with them, Denise, in a way that I never did before because they were always appearing to pour cold water on all my great ideas. But what I realize now is they're bringing a superpower that actually every entrepreneur and business team leader needs to value because they will save you so much time, resource, and energy simply by being humble enough to let them ask their questions. So I always say to guardians, be careful. You can be right and wrong at the same time. You can be right in the question you ask, but you can be wrong in the tone you ask it. So tone and tact are always the growth edge for the guardian voice, but they are an amazing gift to any team, particularly if you, have to have an, if you happen to have a more entrepreneurial or more idealized visioning uh, voice of the future. So there's guardians. Denise, what colors that one for you? I'm, I'm in the yellow light, and I'm about to get clobbered T-bone because the red's turning. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> so it, in some ways, it, it's, it's just good to be able to go. I mean, if you do this in a room, by the way, and I've done it in a room many, many times, you will get a complete cross-section in any room with 30 people or more where there is a whole range of green and some who are red. And it just highlights again, actually, even in a room of really great people that you often you know, work with or spend time with socially, how different we are and how different the superpowers are. So I didn't tell you that creatives, by the way, 9% of the world speak creative as their first voice. And 30%, 30% speak guardian as their first voice, of which 70% are male. So, you know, I said in the beginning, in the average team, on the average day, in the average organization, 82% of people do not feel truly heard, valued, or appreciated. That is the nurturers, the creators, and the guardians. They make up 82% of the human population. And uh, their voice is often not heard the way they would wish it would be, for which I repent and apologize on behalf of my voices, which are coming next. So... You ready for your connector, or have you got any more questions? No, keep going. This is fascinating. <laughs> so the connector, and you'll, you'll always hear the connector. You'll probably hear them coming long before they've even come into the room. The connectors are the champions of relational networks, messaging, communication, optimism, and positivity. So connectors have an amazing capacity to communicate the things they believe in in a way that connects them to the hearts and minds of their audience. So I always joke and say, if you've been to a, 
a charitable dinner over the years in East where um, I sometimes go to these and Helen says to me, Steve, you know, we've only got so much money in the budget this month to give away. So by all means be generous, but be careful. And, I, and if you come home and you've ended up basically adopting an orphanage in Romania or you are an elephant sanctuary somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa, it usually means you've been connected. Because what they do is they go after your heart first. They are the most amazing storytellers. And they find ways to connect the things they believe in to an audience they believe needs to hear it. And they go for your heart first, then your head, then your wallet, your purse usually. And to everyone else, Denise, they often look like great salespeople. But there's nothing a connector hates more than being called a salesperson. Because in their mind, they're not selling. What they're doing is they're connecting opportunities, products, ideas, things that they've pre-qualified with people they actually believe is going to help them and be good for them. So the connector is never selling. What they're doing is they're connecting. They have the most amazing ability to maintain a huge amount of relationships. Most connectors I know have at least 100 to 150 close, dear, or very best friends. And social media has been the most incredible boon for these people because they can just stay connected to far, far more people than they could in the past. And they, whenever, I always say that the connector, if they believe in the project, they'll always go, hey, I know I have someone or I have a source. Every connector has no issue asking even people they only met yesterday whether they could help them with a project if they believe in it. So they love people. People love them. They'll often struggle sometimes to bring challenge when they feel they ought to because they love relational harmony. And most connectors these have an advanced PhD in hinting at their displeasure. So they'll often hint a number of times and then they'll assume the person who obviously has heard nothing really is now flagrantly disobeying their, their commands and sometimes they'll just blow. The connector always has to work on that passive-aggressive tendency of hinting without bringing the challenge in a way they really need to. But they are amazing, amazing people at connecting the organization to the marketplace. And at their best, they sit in that intersect, telling stories, translating, nuancing, messaging, marketing. You know, the amount of businesses I've worked with that have amazing products but weren't able to sell because they never really valued the the connector's ability to nuance, message, and connect that which is healthy and life-giving. So there's your connector. What color are you going to give your connector voice? I'm still going to go with green, but I'm not sure what the hue and tone is. And, and listen, what you're describing is how I operate with my podcast. I get to meet people like you from all over the world. I'm, I mean, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to be asking you, do you want me to introduce you to other guests? Because you're fascinating. But this is this is kind of odd, and people who know me already know this. I am a high-functioning, highly committed introvert. Seriously. Yes. Uh, 98% introvert. Not even cl- I'm getting close to 99. I may sell my car one day. But I'm, I'm not shy. I'm not even close to shy. But I love to connect with people on social media, through my podcast. Ring the doorbell. I'm not going to let you in unless you were invited. So, you know, there's that dichotomy. <laughs> there is. And I think the thing to understand, Denise, is that the first foundational voice, the most green one, shapes how all the other voices are heard. Gotcha. So in a sense, if nurture is number one for you, you will connect people but usually you will connect them inside a depth relationship circle that actually you care deeply about. And in some senses, you've also found a way to be able to help the wider world without it being a huge relational obligation because most nurturers feel the duty of care for almost like about 50 key relationships in their life. Beyond that, they almost get overwhelmed. So you'll find that a lot of introverts are, introvert nurturers are very, very sociable people and they are depth people first. But it doesn't mean they can't do the connecting. It just means that they do it in a way that means they don't get overwhelmed with people's need. Because once you've met somebody 
and you are physically aware of what's going on in their lives, you will find it harder to say no when they ask you for things. That's just my hypothesis running at the moment, Denise, but I don't know what you think about that. That actually makes sense. I mean, I and people will say, oh, how can you be such an introvert? You don't sound like one. Well, I'm not shy. <laughs> and and honestly, Steve, I don't have yeah. any filters. It's probably a good thing I'm yeah. not out in public very often. But the thing is, I everything you're you're touching on here, I'm going, yep, got that, got that, got I'm not sure about that. I'm taking notes like crazy. Okay, so <laughs> what you had to see this. So, I've got index cards so, spread yeah. all over my desk. <laughs> well the lovely thing is there's vast amounts of resources on this, uh, Denise, and, and the free ones. There's a there's a coaching series for all of the sixteen voice combinations that is free on Giant. So I love, I, I, being a Brit, I'm terrible at selling anything for money. But if I know I can give it away for free, then, then, I, then I know I can promote it. And you can put it in the show notes and, you know, people can find it. Um, you know. So the last voice, okay, um, so 11% of people speak connector as their first voice. Remember, you speak all of them, but the first voice shapes a lot how the others are heard. Then lastly, um, but by no means least in their own humble opinion, comes loving, cuddly pioneer. So the pioneer voice is the champion of winning, <laughs> strategic breakthrough, complex problem solving, and in many ways, a very, very militaristic strategic brain that loves to win. So the pioneer loves taking on the challenges that almost other people think are just too difficult to do. And every every pioneer is always looking for going, if it works, how do we scale it? They'll often end up digging foundations to their ideas that look way deeper than is actually needed <laughs> for the simple reason is they're going, yeah, if we can get this to work in London, I'm going to then expand to the UK, then to Europe, then America, then the other continents. And before we know it, we'll be opening franchises on Mars, Venus, and Pluto. So pioneers are always looking to take on things they can believe in but ideally where they can use their intellectual, strategic, analytical skill sets to actually plot how we win. Winning is a massive driver for pioneers, and their superpower means teams with a healthy pioneer often are able to keep going, even when everyone's a bit weary and tired and ready to give up. The pioneer almost brings that steel to the, the team that goes, we're not going to give up. They've all got that kind of, so I think it's uh, the Theodore Roosevelt quote, which is about, you know, I'd rather be in the arena, you know, with dirt and grime than be counted among those cold, timid souls that have known neither victory nor defeat. So the pioneer is a military strategist. They love the intellectual challenge, almost of moving the pieces around the chessboard as to how we actually win. Um, they're very rational. They're very logical. They're very reasoned. They love strategy, and they'll spend a long time crafting how things can go forward. Most pioneers, you don't have to teach them how to be a human doing. You sometimes have to teach them how to turn the work off and be a, a human being. Um, and being, what I say is, for most pioneers, learning how to be intellectually, emotionally, and physically present at the same time outside of work is often a challenge for them. Um, so that's my own personal. When a mature pioneer is at their best, they bring huge stability and security to teams. When they're immature, Denise, they do a lot of damage because they don't realize how powerful their opinions are, how strong they are in the way that they kind of can sometimes come across and shoot other people down. And uh, we, you know, I won't go into all of it now, but each voice carries a weapon system. And that's never good. And the pioneer has a grenade launcher. So sometimes when someone's wasting their time or dares to challenge the genius of their strategic idea or whatever it might be, they can literally turn around in a room and go, <laughs> and then there's this huge explosion of, you know, a bomb going off on the other side of the room. And that usually stops debate and conversation in my experience. So pioneers have to be so careful because in the end, when they're healthy and well, they're huge assets when they're immature and unconsciously incompetent, as I was for many years, they have a negative impact on those around them um, in a way that I'm certainly sorry. So there's the pioneers. What they bring at their best is incredible. What they bring at their worst is highly 
probably more damaging than any of the other foundational voices. So how does that one sound? What color are we going for there, Denise? I'm going to go with yellow, and I can't explain to you why. I think because I need to do some thinking about it. But you know what I just did, Steve? I drew a line from pioneer to creative. What's that all about? I'm wondering what I I was thinking. Well, they all connect in some way. And I think the thing to understand is we all speak all five. So I always say to people, I, what's your voice order? Because so many people feel they get put in boxes by personality assessments, and we've all been abused by them in the past, for which I apologize. But I would say that these are, this is not a box to live in. It's a coat to try on. And I'm a pioneer, connector, creative, guardian, nurturer. So if you think about it, I, I'm very strong on pioneer, and I'm very fluent in connector. I can do creative in certain areas, and I enjoy developing new content, but I'm not necessarily a futurist. I can do guardian detail, but it tires me out, and I have to work at that. A nurturer for me has always been a challenge. But what I find is if I'm helping somebody make a breakthrough in their lives, so I run something called a, a life intensive with me in London. Leaders come over, spend three days with me, and I give them everything I have to help them make the breakthrough as to what do you want to do with the rest of your life. And it's almost like they experience me as going, Steve, you're so caring and present and you listen so well. And if I tell them, I go, I can do it for a limited period of time, but I'm exhausted at the end of three days. But I love the fact that I'm really pioneering using my nurturer voice. I'm helping people make a breakthrough which changes the trajectory of their lives. So I hope that's an example really of where I I access them all, but some are very much learned behaviors where I have to really work at valuing it. And for me anyway, creating the context where those other voices that are not naturally me feel really encouraged by me. I love this, and I wrote them down, one, nurture, two, creative, three, guardians, four, connector, five, pioneer, and so far, I'm right in line with the five. I didn't switch anything around. Well, in some ways, that's great, and other people listening will have done it differently, but the nurture, creative, connector, these ISFP in MBTI, so voices is written in the source code of all the wonderful Jedi mind tricks of Jungian type that I learned for years, but you'll find that the voices is something that everyone can use. And in the end, you'll find that teams begin to go, we can use this, families can use this right now, and the resources there are there for people to play with. So, you know, we we charge organizations who effectively use the platform and the data. But for Jeremy and I, the desire almost to, to help people communicate more effectively both jeremy and i my business partner married complete opposites so helen is a nurturer guardian (laughs) and jeremy is a connector creative pioneer and he married kelly who's a guardian nurturer so in the end it helped us so much in our relationships that's the reason why we've been passionate about i guess sharing it with other people as well because you know we i use it with our kids with everyone else it's learning how to create environments where the people around you get to be at their best. And you, you, at the beginning, we were talking about, well, what is leadership and how does that work? I would say that if you want the simplest definition I can give you is the most effective leaders create environments for those that they're leading and responsible for to actually be at their very best, to feel empowered to bring their superpower and to have opportunities to continue to develop their skills and develop their experiences. So it's not always easy because you're always trying to find that right calibration of what we call high support and high challenge. But knowing who the person is on the other side of you means you can be way more intelligent in calibrating that effectively and well. So there's lots to learn um, but there are tools with which we can all get better than we are at the moment. And certainly that was my experience. And I have to ask you, the, the person on the other side of you oftentimes is you. So how do we yeah. say, say, okay, 
you know, I'm listening to all of this. I'm finding a lot of awareness, you know, how I operate, how I function, how I show up. Now do I go sit in a corner and cry or do I do something about it? <laughs> in your case, no, Denise, because you are very okay. self-aware. And so I would say that, that depending on what your um, voice order is, some, it's often a more rude awakening. So anybody who is a nurturer first voice or connector or even a creative connector often has a sensitivity to people that means that you're naturally more emotionally intelligent. So in, in, in Myers-Briggs language, the thinker and the feeler. But here's the thing. Every thinker I know, every pioneer, every guardian, every creative pioneer, in the end wants to be more competent. So when you can show them how they can be more competent in achieving the success that they're looking for in their task, you find all of a sudden their ears are open. If it's just a soft and fuzzy thing for being nice to people, they're, they're not interested, which is a shame. So I think it's, it's, it's learning to recognize we all have superpowers, but also learning to recognize we all have blind spots. We always have areas for growth and opportunity. And even if, you know, even if all you do is just ask the people you lead, how would I create the environment for you to be at your best? What are the superpowers you can use? There's a reason we use voices, you know, with teams and many of the, the things we do, because you're trying to put a vocabulary and language in that makes everyone feel they have a unique contribution to bring in the discussion. So we always, you know, the order that I taught the voices in Denise, we always say what we call rules of engagement. Nurturers go first. You don't have to say something, but if you've got an opinion, we'd rather hear it first, and we promise we won't critique it too hard. Creatives go second, and we promise that we'll ask clarifying questions till we get out what you're really trying to say. Guardians, we want you to ask the difficult questions, but probably not as many as you'd like to ask. So can you be quite focused on the ones you want to ask? Connectors, sell it for all your worth. If you believe in something, tell us why. But don't be offended or take it too personally if we decide it's not yet. And lastly, pioneers go last. No pioneer ever goes last normally without help. I heard, Denise, as a pioneer, so many other opinions around the team table because I chose to go last as a pioneer because often what would happen is I'd put my opinion down very forcefully and almost dare people to disagree with me while I'm carrying a grenade launcher. So I wonder why I used to think silence was agreement. It turns out silence wasn't always agreement. It was just, Steve, you've already made up your mind, and if we disagree with you, you're probably going to blow us up anyway, and I've got kids and responsibilities at home, so you can just get on with it. It won't work. It'll probably end in disaster, but we're not going to die today because of your immaturity. Understood. You know what, Steve? I have so many other questions to ask you. Would you come back again? I would love to, please. I, I, this, okay. is my, this is my passion because I, I just see, I get emails every day from people around the world saying, you changed my marriage, you changed my relationship with my kids. Our team is in a different place. So anything I can do to, to help and share in many ways kind of my, my own learning and my own um, breakthroughs, I would be honored to do that. Oh, that is wonderful. You know what? I, I made a note. I would like for you to come back and talk about the weapons that each one of these yeah. mentioned weapon system. And I wrote that down and underlined it. Apparently, it's very important to me. But listen, before I let you go, we've got about, and thank you, I will definitely get you to come back. Tell people what Giant Coaching is and where they can find you. So um, you can find me on social media through LinkedIn, just Steve Cockrum. I'll always reply if you find me. And in terms of Giant, um, if, you, if you want to explore the content and get the voices, just go to giant.tv backslash BB. That will mean that you get to set up a free account. And the first thing it'll ask you to do is take the five voices assessment. And there's lots of resources there. And if there's anyone out there that goes, you know, I would love to 
think about, you know, Giant, what we do is we basically equip coaches and consultants with resources and tools and an incredible technology platform to help them run their businesses. So if anyone's interested in that as well, then please just reach out to me. You know, my I'm happy to connect you to someone at the team or just go to the website and click on it. But if you want a personal introduction, my personal email is just steve at giantworldwide.com. More than happy to help anyone that would love to know uh, how Giant might be a good fit for them. You know, we've got hundreds of coaches and consultants around the world who just say you build the best community and you really do have the best tools for the world we live in today. So happy to help with that as well, Denise. All right. Steve, thank you. It has been fascinating chatting with you, and I genuinely look forward to having you come back because I've got questions, big questions. So thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that you've shared with our audience. And everybody who's listening, go take that assessment. You Get over there to Giant TV. Before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes, Amazon Prime, Apple, just anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Steve, thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.